0: educate the Muslim and South Asian community about local Texas and national politics. You can find my podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, or hear them every Tuesday, 1 p.m. on Radio Azad. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and check out my website, www.wiseuptx.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, please find me at WiseUp or WiseUpTX, one of those two handles, you should be able to find me. Remember, everyone... Let's become educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. So today's podcast is called Veepstakes. Stakes. In today's segment, I'm going to be discussing the vice presidential candidates, the potential vice presidential candidates for both parties, who will be running with Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, along with the National News and the Texas News, in a brief synopsis about World Refugee Day, which was yesterday on June 20th, 2016. But first, let's start with the news of the week. So in national news, Donald Trump, after the Orlando incident, continues to be spewing anti-Muslim sentiment. And he's even discussed racial profiling along with his ban of Muslims coming into the United States. Many GOP leaders are unable to stomach what he is saying and a lot of them have actually gone against uh, his statement of banning Muslims in America. For example, the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how, um, how far this is really going to go. It seems like every time uh, we feel that Donald Trump has made a statement that has gone too far and that he's going to lose uh, popularity, that doesn't necessarily seem to happen. But we'll see how the rest of the... GOP leadership and candidates uh, respond to this. Moving on to the Democratic presidential race, um, Hillary Clinton won the DC primary last week. Uh, Bernie Sanders still hasn't dropped out and is still clinging on until the Democratic convention. Uh, Presumably, he wants the Democratic party to have more open primaries, get rid of the superdelegates, and for the party to really address income inequality in their platform for this upcoming race. We'll see uh, how much he gets by staying in the race. Um, last Friday on June 17th, it was the one-year anniversary of Charleston where nine African Americans were shot and killed in a church. And speaking of that horrific incident, and after the early. Orla- uh, tragedy in Orlando, the Senate Democrats this past week had a 15-hour filibuster, forcing Republicans to finally have a discussion on gun control. So basically, what they've, I guess, kind of come to a compromise is discussing some sort of law that would stop those that are on the terror list or the no-fly list to attain a gun. At least it's a start in that gun control is starting a conversation. Hopefully, this will progress forward into better... Um, uh, restrictions on guns, so let's uh, hope for the best, and like I stated last week, I really hope that gun control is one of the top priorities that you look for in trying to figure out who you want to vote for in not just your presidential candidates, but in your local candidates as well, whether it's uh, Texas or U.S. Senate and House representatives, and make sure to see and hear what they are discussing what their thoughts and feelings are on this topic. So moving on to Texas news, Uh, the Texas Democratic Party had their convention this past weekend. They reiterated a stance of everyone being accepted into their party. The Texas Democratic Muslims also hosted an iftar in San Antonio as well. Donald Trump also campaigned in Texas this weekend. Apparently he was able to raise $4 million in Dallas alone. In the city of Waco, another very unfortunate incident occurred. An African-American 12-year-old girl had a rope on her neck and she was pulled by her white classmates. Uh, She's been dealing with bullying at the school that she's been currently attending and the school has stated that the incident was an accident. Personally, I find that to be absolutely despicable. I don't understand how that was an accident when the rope is tied around the neck and you're pulling someone, you know what you're pulling. And on top of that, if you look at the photos, um, it's, it's on the news. I mean, she has rope burns around her entire neck. And I just find the school's reaction to be absolutely appalling. It's starting to gain some media traction. And You know, I've stated this in many uh, segments about how, when we see bigotry happening, especially I spoke about this last week, and Samarjit Singh also stated it, is that in order for us to hold people accountable for the bigotry that they do, we need to start standing up for it. So, anytime we see this type of hateful actions occurring, we need to also stand up for it, and. This is a prime example that I've discussed before, is that when we see anti-Muslim or anti-South Asian sentiment happening in America, we're very quick to post on social media. But we also need to do the same thing when we see any other type of uh, bigoted actions. And this is something that we need to get more national attraction for. This is something that this girl's voice needs to be heard, and this is such a despicable and atrocious act against her. I mean... I know many of my listeners have kids. Can you imagine your child going to school and having a rope around their neck and being, you know, pulled by their classmates? It's just, I just, I have no words, to be honest. And I'm so shocked that this hasn't gained more media traction. So I urge you to, you know, share this story because it definitely needs to be heard. And something definitely needs to be done. So that's the Texas and U.S. News of the Week. Um, I wanted to discuss World Refugee Day, which is on January June 20th of each year. And I'm going to read a little bit about it from WorldRefugeeDay.com and what it is. It was first marked in 2001, and it's held every year on June 20th. On this day, according to the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, Tens of thousands of people around the world take time to recognize and applaud the contribution of forcibly displaced people throughout the world. The annual commemoration is marked by a variety of events in more than 100 countries involving government officials, humanitarian aid workers, celebrities, civilians, and the forcibly displaced themselves. The goal of World Refugee Day is to raise awareness and vital funds to help relieve the suffering of the displaced people around the world, more than half of whom are children. For most, each day is a struggle with so many uncertainties, the lives they knew were gone, but with your support and with the support of many nonprofits, um, we have the ability to help them dream again. So now I'm going to discuss a couple of statistics about um, World Refugee Day and kind of a, an explanation of who refugees are. So here's the most shocking statistic of all. As of 2015, there were 60 million people worldwide um, who was either a refugee, a displaced person, an asylum seeker, a stateless person. So a refugee is someone who is outside the country of their nationality, owning to a well-founded fear of being persecuted. Those that are internally displaced persons are people who have fled their homes but have not crossed an international border. And those that are asylum seekers is someone who is seeking protection as a refugee and is still waiting to have their claim assessed. Because they have not been recognized as refugees, they are not protected under international law and face the possibility of being sent back to their country of origin. And finally, a stateless person is someone who is not considered a national by any state. They have no government ID cards. They are having difficulty to open bank accounts, go to school, finding work, or traveling. This type of situation can occur for a variety of reasons, such as discrimination against certain groups, redrawing of borders, and gaps in nationality laws. The UNHCR estimates that 10 million people worldwide are stateless. So I want to go back to the fact that I had initially mentioned that there are around 60 million refugees around the world. I want you to let that number sink in. 60 million. I mean, this is a number that's larger than many countries' population, such as Canada. And this is the highest number since World War II. One of the largest groups of refugees is um, the country of Syria, and they have about 13.5 million people um, in need of uh, assistance. Of course, the United States uh, will admit about 85,000 refugees, This fiscal year of 2016, um, around 34,000 of them will come from South Asia um, and the Middle East, and within that 34,000, 10,000 of them will come from Syria, 25,000 will come from Africa, 13,000 will come from East Asia, 4,000 from Europe, 3,000 from Latin America, and about 6,000 are on a need-based application. Uh, Texas is one of the states that uh, takes in the largest amount of refugees, and the countries um, that, you know, the refugees, they settle in Texas, the countries they come from, according to the Refugee Council USA, is Bhutan, Burma, Iraq, Cuba, and Eritrea. As we all know, those of us who have been following this presidential election, that uh, the refugee crisis has become a pretty big deal in national and local politics. We saw um, after the horrific incident that happened in Paris, those attacks, that the state governor of Texas, uh, Governor Abbott, had wanted to implement a ban or more stringent requirements for refugees to be able to come and settle in Texas. uh, The federal courts have struck that down. And we see some uh, political rhetoric coming from certain Republican and a few Democratic candidates about making the refugee resettlement process uh, much more stringent than it already is. And so we know that the refugee crisis has become a big um, point in the political world and it's quite unfortunate really because it's not happening in America you see it happening in Europe and it is so unfortunate because these people are in so in so much need and this is the largest number that has ever happened since World War II it's it's astounding 60 million people and that you know there isn't so much outreach to try and help them out. This past weekend, you know, I currently reside in Austin, Texas. Uh, The city of Austin um, and some nonprofits had joined together to do a refugee experience. And so people would go in and they would start, um, you know, they'd be sorted into a country that was currently experiencing political turmoil and where a lot of refugees were coming from. And then they would be, you would kind of go through the process of, all the things that they would have to go to. They would go to a refugee camp and then the, uh, they would show you the daily food ration. And it was just, it was so little. It wasn't much. So, you know, when you donate to a lot of these places that you're giving a person a day of food, it's its barely anything. It's just enough for them to get by. And then after they, um, you know, are in these refugee camps, they're able to, you know, apply for asylum and just the entire process that they go through is just absolutely grueling and then they finally come to the country and yes they're safe but then there's a the whole issue of them attempting to integrate within the society and that first they feel safe then they have this culture shock. Um, obviously American society is very different from many of the countries where these people are fleeing and it's just a very emotional and long process for them. So I thought it was really great that these people did this in Austin because those people who are against refugees or have this notion of, you know, that they're coming here and just have a negative connotation about them, this was a great way to dispel that. And I think they did a really great job in doing that so that you could see the long process that the refugees had to go through and that it wasn't easy and that they had so many hoops to, pass, to go through and pass these tests. So I sincerely urge all my listeners, you know, while World Refugee Day was yesterday, um, you can still take the time to help donate. There is the UNHCR that um, you can donate to. There are several local groups within Dallas, Houston, and Austin that, um, you know, can take donations and that are, wanting to help people um, who are resettling in Texas. And so I urge you to Google them and find them. Some of the things that I do to help refugees, I do pro bono asylum work where a lot of these people have come to America, they've fled war-torn countries and are seeking asylum, and they've gone through very traumatic experiences. So if you're an attorney out there, I, I highly urge those to find one of those pro bono asylum groups because it's a very rewarding experience. You just understand how thankful and blessed you are in life when you hear their stories. And another thing that is great in Austin, I don't believe it's come to Dallas yet, but this organization called Girl Forward, which originated from Chicago, has started doing a mentoring program where they have uh, selected girls through a rigorous process and they will mentor a refugee girl for an entire year to help her transition into America and deal with the cultural shocks and have a little bit of help with homework. And they would be able to mentor her for a year. And I think a lot of these things would be very beneficial to these refugee girls coming here. So again, um, if you're in Austin, I highly recommend to check out Girl Forward. If you're not in Austin, I know that Dallas in Houston um, does a lot. With regards to refugees, I highly recommend you all Googling and trying to find out some of these organizations and really helping these people out because at the end of the day, you know, they need all the help that they can get. And, you know, we're very fortunate enough enough that, you know, we could really um, do something and help them out. So now I want to move on to our segment for today. It is Veepstakes and we are trying to kind of figure out who could possibly be the vice presidential candidates for both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. What exactly does the Vice President do? They preside over the U.S. Senate, they vote if there is a tie in the Senate, and they basically take over if the President passes away. As of late, you know, the past VPs, such as Al Gore and Dick Cheney and Joe Biden, have been a little bit more um, active Vice Presidents before they weren't necessarily very active. But when trying to pick for a VP, you have to think of a lot of things, or the presidential campaign has to think of a lot of things. You know, they have to vet them, make sure um, there's no skeletons hidden in the closet, that they haven't been doing any tax evasions, nothing illegal. Um, How would they be able to galvanize public support uh, for the campaign, for the presidential candidate? Would they be very qualified in case in the worst case scenario, the president passed away and they would have to take over? There's so many things that go into it. And that's why it takes so long for them to pick a VP. I wanted to start with Donald Trump's potential VP candidates. And some people are stating that there's many in the GOP that are unwilling to be his vice presidential candidate because they feel that it could be political suicide. But let's start with his long and exhaustive list. I got a lot of this information from the Atlantic and CNN in case you wanted to read up more about them. So one of the candidates is Richard Burr from North Carolina. He's a senator. He's part of the Intelligence Committee. Um, We don't know much else about him. Another one is Newt Gingrich. He was a Speaker of the House from 1995 to 1999. He has been in D.C. politics for a while, which would be a good thing. He would have experience, but he really wouldn't expand the base uh, the way Donald Trump's base is, um, Newt Greenrich would, you know, fall along the same lines. And he does say very interesting things. Um, but maybe that's a good thing because that's how Donald Trump seems to be winning these days. Moving on, there's also Ben Carson. He is well-liked. He could appeal to social conservatives, but he has absolutely no experience whatsoever in politics. I mean... Even as he ran for president, that was one of the things that really brought him out of the race was because he was very unaware about foreign policy and was unable to answer a lot of those questions. So I don't think he would be a really great candidate. Another candidate is Chris Christie. You may have heard of him. He was also running for president. He is the current governor of New Jersey. He would be able to expand the base with um, social conservatives he is somewhat liked, but somewhat disliked because he was one of the first to um, endorse Donald Trump. So that could cause some controversy within the Republican Party. But maybe that wouldn't be a big deal because it seems like a lot of the Republican Party um, politicians are now um, galvanizing around Trump. So we'll see how that you know works out. Another one is Rick Perry, who was a previous governor of Texas. It seems that Donald Trump has already said no to him. Mary Fallon, who is the governor of Oklahoma, she could bring diversity to the ticket by being a female. She has great experience um, being both in Congress and as governor, and she has been an advocate of Donald Trump. There is also Jan Brewer, who is another female. She was a former governor of Arizona. She's also a staunch Trump supporter. Then Susanna Martinez, governor of New Mexico, she is female and she is Hispanic, which would bring a lot of diversity into that uh, Republican camp, but the issue would be is the whole wall that he's planning on building between the U.S. and Mexico, and that Mexico would have to pay for it. It might not go well with a lot of the Hispanic um, voters. There is also Bob Corker, who is a senator from Tennessee, Um, he is very well versed in foreign policy and has been helping the Trump campaign with uh, Donald Trump's foreign policy platform. There is also Nikki Haley, who is the governor of South Carolina. She is also a first-generation Indian American, which would be very exciting, but it seems like she's not very interested to be his VP candidate. And she, if you remember when she gave the rebuttal for the State of the Union, um, she really spoke out against Donald Trump. Not naming his name, but it was more indirect criticisms. So they may not uh, get along well together. But she could definitely galvanize a different base within the Republican Party. And they could seem more inclusive of minorities if they were to pick her. There is also the lovely Sarah Palin. (laughs) And if you remember her, she was the former governor of Alaska. She also had a reality TV show. And she was the VP candidate while John McCain was running against President Obama. And she is not considered to be very well experienced when it comes to uh, politics, like national politics. So I think that would be an interesting choice. But she has been a staunch supporter of Donald Trump and has made a lot of speeches on behalf of him. Then there are the three last Republican candidates that had dropped out, which were Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, and John Kasich. They all seem like they are a most definite no. John Kasich has straight upset that he can't support Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, and uh, Donald Trump don't seem like they've really patched things up. And if he was to choose Ted Cruz, again, many Republicans don't like Ted Cruz. It would be hard to unify the base. Uh, Marco Rubio has very, very defiantly said no. And let's move on to who Hillary Clinton's picks could be. It seems like Bernie Sanders, while he hasn't dropped out of the race, is not considered to be a contender for Hillary Clinton VP pick, which makes me a little sad. I think they would have been a fun ticket. But let's see who she has up. One of them is Elizabeth Warren, who is a Massachusetts senator. She is pretty popular with the progressives, so she would be able to hopefully get those Bernie supporters who are anti-Hillary. Maybe she would be able to um, get them onto the to vote for the Democratic Party. Um, she is very anti-Wall Street, which is what a lot of Bernie supporters liked. Um, it would be very exciting to have two females on the ticket, although... There are some political pundits saying that America isn't necessarily ready for that. Um, another thing that would be very, I guess, kind of touchy and sensitive is that Elizabeth Warren has um, has criticized Clinton of being bought by Wall Street. So it would be interesting to see how she would be able to change the story and change that dynamic because she has now already endorsed Hillary Clinton and saying that she's with her and that she's going to work very hard Um, for her against Donald Trump so I wonder how that story would change. The negative thing about her is you know there are many Republicans out there that are not for Donald Trump but dislike Hillary and Elizabeth Warren would not be able to help her get those uh, Republicans or those conservatives that are in the middle but unwilling to support Donald Trump and Elizabeth Warren would be the complete into this is of that so that's something I guess Hillary Clinton would have to think about. Moving on to the Housing and Urban Development Secretary, Julian Castro. He is the twin brother of Congressman Castro from San Antonio. Um, He was the former mayor of San Antonio. Some of the great things about him, he's Hispanic, so he could really galvanize the Hispanic base. He's from Texas, which is a Republican state, but maybe... There would be a way to make Texas purple if he was to be a VP candidate. He is young. He is considered a rising superstar. Um, he's exceptionally smart. Went to Harvard and Stanford. And there are his drawbacks in that he doesn't speak Spanish very well. He does not have much political experience except for being mayor of San Antonio. And you know, I've seen him speak a couple of times. I think he is an amazing speaker. He has charisma but I think he could he could smile a little bit more he could make a couple more jokes and I think that would make him much more personable to the people but um, I think it would be an interesting pick for Hillary if she was to uh, pick Helene Castro because I think you would get a lot more Democrats um, voting in Texas out to vote and um, you know he would be someone that would be that could really reach to the younger population. And I think that's the base that she really needs to appeal to a lot because it seems like, you know, with the primaries, she really lost the younger voters to Bernie Sanders. And I think that he could potentially appeal to that as well. Moving on, uh, Tim Kaine, who is a senator from uh, Virginia. Virginia is a swing state. He is fluent in Spanish. He has a, you know, he is on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He is very well aware of foreign policy, but the problem is he's not very exciting. He was your safe pick. He's an older white man, um, and a lot of Democrats are not happy with his record on abortion. Then there's Sherrod Brown, who is a senator from Ohio. He is um, a progressive. He could get bernie sanders supporters which is very important for hillary clinton um he is a huge advocate for the american poor i think that is exceptionally important because especially the way bernie sanders campaign has really brought out income inequality he um would be able to really work on that as vice president um one of the issues is that if he becomes vice president, you know, his Senate seat becomes open and the governor of Ohio would be able to choose a senator and the governor of Ohio is John Kasich, who's a Republican. He would um, probably install a Republican senator in his place. And so the reason why that's so important is because yes, you can be president of the United States, but you can have much difficulty passing bills if you don't have a um, Senate majority or a, House majority, which is one of the biggest problems President Obama has faced, is being able to pass legislation when Congress has been a Republican majority, and so that's something that I'm sure the Hillary Clinton campaign will want to consider when uh, picking their candidate for VP, is to make sure that they're also not losing seats um, that could potentially go to the opposing party. Another pick for Hillary Could also be Labor Secretary Tom Perez, who is part of the President Obama administration. He's a huge civil rights advocate. Um, He hasn't really campaigned or won an election. People don't really know him, but he is Hispanic, so he may be able to galvanize the Hispanic population um, and voters to try and get out there to vote. Some other two candidates that are you know, on the ticket but aren't very well known is Rep Xavier Becerra, Democrat um, from California. He's Hispanic, he's smart, he's progressive, but doesn't have much name recognition. There's also L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti. He's Jewish, so he'd be the second Jewish um, veep on the ticket after Joe Lieberman. He is also Hispanic um, ancestry. Um, He has been the mayor of L.A., but he doesn't really have much other political experience, and it would be a big leap to go from mayor to a veep uh, spot, and it seems that he doesn't have as much charisma to really galvanize people uh, to get out there and vote. And last but not least, there's also Cory Booker, who is a Democrat senator from New Jersey, He would be the first African-American vice presidential candidate. He is one of those senators that is uh, pro-poor policies. He has really worked on helping the poor out and really discussing legislation in regards to income inequality. Um, He is also very social media savvy. And the reason why I bring that up is because I think these days, social media has a lot to do with campaigning and can really make a huge difference. just cause you're amazing on paper doesn't necessarily mean that you would be amazing um, in person or have the charisma to really reach out to the voters. And especially with the millennial generation, social media is everything. And um, you know, I have social media and I will follow Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, all their campaigns, like on Snapchat, on Instagram, I read their Twitter accounts. And for our generation, that's very important. And I think you had someone like Jeb Bush on the Republican side who seemed amazing on paper, had all the experiences, but was very unwilling to work with social media and become social media savvy. And I think that really hurt him in several ways because he wasn't able to really get his name out there as much as maybe Donald Trump was or Ben Carson. So I think it's really awesome when you have a candidate that is social media savvy because it also gives this personalized touch to the politician that hey I could reach out to them on social media and I can see what they're doing with their lives and you connect better with them but um, that's just my take on why being social media savvy is important in politics these days but some of the cons against him is that teachers unions don't necessarily like him while um, Hillary Clinton has worked very well with teachers unions and the reason why they don't like him is because he is for charter schools and private school vouchers and That's become a pretty controversial topic in the national and local education system of late. So that is the rundown of the VEEP candidates. If I had to give my personal opinion for Donald Trump, I don't know who uh, I'd ask for him to pick. I guess I would have to go with Nikki Haley and uh, Marco Rubio. Um, I think they would be the smartest picks for him because I think they would galvanize a completely different base and would be able to bring out more supporters, not that I am necessarily hoping that Donald Trump wins this election, given the um, crude remarks that he's made about several minorities, but those would be the two that I would um, think would be the best picks for his party, whereas I feel like the others would just continue with his uh, insane policies, and that's not something um, that I think would be good for our nation. With regards to Hillary Clinton, I've you know, feel like there's there's so many great picks and it would be hard to pick just one. Um, I'm going to be slightly biased and, you know, kind of root for Julian Castro. I, I do like him and he sounds like he would be a great VP. I think he could bring kind of that Obama style of, you know, being charismatic and really appealing to um, the millennial generation And so I think he would be a great pick. I also like Elizabeth Warren. Um, I think it would be really, really super awesome to have two females on the ticket. And finally, I would also put Cory Booker on there because, one, again, social media savvy. You're really reaching out to the younger population, and we have an insight into your life. And two, I am really excited at the fact that he has really focused on income inequality as one of his policies, because I think that is something that greatly needs to be addressed in our country today. It's the reason why Bernie Sanders has really, you know, had so much momentum. And I think also, to an extent, Donald Trump as well. I think a lot of American blue-collar workers have felt left out of the conversation, and it's time that we address it. And I think Senator Cory Booker could really do something with that. And so that is my segment for today. I hope you all found the veep list as interesting as I did. I think it'll be exciting to see who these uh, two candidates are going to pick as their vice presidential candidates. Looks like we still have a couple of months to wait while they vet who their candidates could be. I hope you enjoyed today's segment. And don't forget to check out my Facebook page, WiseUp, or my Instagram and Twitter accounts, WiseUpTX. And don't forget to also check out my website, www.WiseUpTX.com, Remember everyone, let's become educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. Until next time.